to the Being Husband Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan West, bringing you guys another episode here, telling you all like I always do. Thank you for being a part of the work we're doing. If you've been with us for any length of time, then you know what we're all about here. We're here to help you men live on mission in marriage. And I know it's been a long time since I've talked to you guys. I know it's been a couple of weeks. You're probably like, Jonathan, he's not doing his thing. He's not on top of his game. And you'd be correct. You you could say that. Uh, Work, work. My my actual job has been pretty crazy. Uh, It's been a lot of moving parts, a lot of emergencies, a lot of fires to put out. Ultimately, it's no excuse. I still should be on top of my game. But the reality of it is, is reality happens. And that's really where I've been at the past few days, uh, past few weeks, rather. Um, But with that said, uh, I've got a great episode for you guys today on this Theology on Thursday. So if you guys are new to uh, this, this is our Theology on Thursday episode. It's an episode that we do, obviously, on Thursday, but we talk about a theological concept or idea and uh, juxtapose it with cultural stuff, cultural things that are going on, cultural ideas, uh, and really see if those things square up with a biblical worldview. So with that, um, this is an interview that I had with C.R. Wiley or Chris Wiley. He's a pastor out in rural Connecticut. Uh, C.R. has written for a Touchstone magazine, Modern Reformation, Sacred Architecture, The Imaginative Conservative, Front Porch Republic, National Review Online, and First Things, among other publications. But the main publication that got my attention uh, were two books that he put out, one called Men of the House and his most recent book, The Household and the War for the Cosmos, published by Canon Press. Really, really good stuff. Fantastic stuff. Uh, but with that being said, guys, I'm going to go ahead and jump into this interview. And with that said, here's Chris Wiley. Thanks for, for coming on. I'm glad to be with you, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Anytime, anytime. I, I had to bring you on because you are the, uh, shall I say, the, the Christian Jordan Peterson of our time. So I needed, <laughs> I needed to bring you on so you could kind of bring some of this heat. Um, so I'll, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself a little bit uh, for those of the those of us that don't know you too well or any of your work. Um, how does a young CR in sixth grade make it to Christian Jordan Peterson? How does he get to that point? Walk us through that. I mean, I know we got we got limited time, but maybe give us a brief synopsis of how you got to this point. Wow, that's a, a big that's a big uh, question, um, but I'll try my best. Uh, I, I, I am flattered that you think I'm a Jordan Peterson. I, I don't uh, think of myself that way, but uh, Anyway, I'm glad that some guys out there like my stuff and have been getting some uh, some help from from the stuff. Well, I uh, I've got kind of a weird background. Um, you take me back to the sixth grade. In the sixth grade, my uh, my father was teaching at the uh, University of uh, Washington in St. Louis. So I I was you know I grew up during those years not far from Forest Park and. Uh, you know, in the uh, vicinity there of uh, University of Washington and St. Louis, my father was a Scientologist. I don't know if you're familiar with that group, but uh, anyway, my mother was something of an art uh, lover, and she introduced me to the arts when I was a kid. 
but the, the to, to make a long story short, our family uh, fell apart. My father deserted us. Um, I ended up in the projects. I ended up in a foster home at, at, a, at a certain point. And it was uh, through this whole, you know, sort of uh, steady sort of uh, decline that I found myself uh, in a foster home. But at that but at that time, uh, a, a preacher's kid became my best friend. And uh, so I just kind of hung out with him because he went to church because he had to, you know, sure. and he wasn't particularly a, you know, a devoted kid or anything. He was just a kid. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> he had to go to church because his father was the preacher. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I know that. And so, yeah. yeah. And so I had to go to, to hang out with him. I had to go to church, too. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was all there was to it. And uh, but but while I was in that environment, I heard the gospel, and this was a this is in Western Pennsylvania now. So Western Pennsylvania is very much kind of blue collar, uh, you know, it's very uh, kind of uh, Norman Rockwell. Everybody works in the factories kind of world, and the men that I encountered in that world were very different than my father and the world that I had been familiar with when I was, you know, in St. Louis. Because in that world, you know, uh, with my father and my mother and, the, and all of that in those days, you know, it was much more of a kind of uh, liberal uh, kind of, uh, you know, this was the late 60s, early 70s, kind of find yourself kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people were experimenting and getting into all kinds of stuff. So my folks got into all kinds of stuff. Sure. Yeah. And um, it was it was what I call ABC, anything but Christianity. Mm. You know, so they were wow. they got into the Baha'is, you know, and all just all kinds of stuff. Kabbalah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So all all that scene, and uh, you know, I, I grew up in this world of beads and Buddhas, <laughs> 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 and you know, it was just it was just that's the way it was at that time. But anyway, I went from that world to this world of I don't know if you've ever seen the film uh, The Deer Hunter. But in the deer hunter, it shows you what kind of like what Western Pennsylvania is uh, like or was like back in those days. And it very much kind of, you know, everybody hunts. I mean, I it, in that in my, the high school I went to in Western Pennsylvania, the first day of deer season, there was no school. Is it like an in-service day? <laughs> it was just basically it was like no one's going to come anyway. Let's just call the day off. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it was everybody, the teachers, the principal, everybody was in the woods with their guns. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and wow. in, my, in, in my high school, you know, people would come to school with guns in the gun rack of the pickup truck. It was that kind of world. Wow. No one thought anything of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was normalcy. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. No one no one shot anything, uh, people or anything. like that. It was just like, you know. But anyway, so I went from this really super liberal 60s kind of world where anything goes to this very sort of, you know, sort of uh, Norman Rockwell world of blue collar you know, men who made things with their own hands and worked on their own trucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in that period of time, I came to Christ. And uh, uh, then, I, you know, not long after I, I came to Christ, I, I, I had a sense that I was called to the ministry. And so I pursued that uh, sort of that vocation. And actually, uh, after a long series of, you know, events, I... You know, I was I went to different schools, graduate schools and stuff like that. It was at Harvard Divinity School for a while. And I was in Boston and worked in the inner city and worked with a lot of different 
you know, sort of ethnic groups. And so uh, throughout, throughout this whole period of time, you know, um, I got married, started having kids of my own. And I was thinking about, you know, what, what is, you know, there's a lot of nuttiness right now with regard to, you know, you know, what, what matters and how you should live your life and, you know, standards and values and stuff. So I, 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 you know, through all of this, I said, you know what, I didn't have uh, uh, a home life that gave me any like models, Mm -hmm. you know, to work with. So I need to go and do some research. You know, how did this stuff uh, work in the past? How do people think in the past? So I did a lot of reading, did a lot of writing and uh, kind of got up to speed on stuff and then tried to put it into practice my own life. Mm-hmm. And now my kids, are, I've got three kids. My kids are all grown. They're doing great. My two oldest boys are both married. They're in their 20s and, you know, forming houses of their own. And my daughter is going to be a junior next year in college. And so, you know, and so they've all launched, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so and they're all believers. And I've got a I've got a wonderful wife and I'm, I'm very happy. And I've got uh you know, uh, kind of the life I describe in Man of the House is pretty much the way I live. Yeah. So tell me. So and that's it. So Man of the House, for, for those of you guys that are new to CR's work, Man of the House is the first and I haven't finished reading it, but I'm into it. It's, it's on its way. But I've been reading excerpts and I listened to introduction. I think it was some it was floating around somewhere. I don't know if it was YouTube. No. It was an introduction to your other book. Um, the hold on, tell me the title because I'm gonna butcher sure. it. No, yeah, no problem. It's Household and the War for the Cosmos. War, yeah, that one. I listened to the introduction on that one, and the first piece of that is on Pietas, and that's the reason I wanted to bring Cr on because I, I, I wanted you and I to have a conversation because. A lot of the stuff that I've listened to you for, because you've got a podcast that you do, Theology Podcast, which is a really good podcast, guys. I think you should go listen to it. It's three floating brains in a pub <laughs> talk about the things of God and how they intersect with culture. So I, I, I love it. I think it's great. Um, well, people call me a floating brain, too. But um, <laughs> but, I, but I love it because you had an episode that you talked about, Pietas which is where we get the word piety. And you talked about gravitas, which is where we get the word gravity or weight. Um, And you use these things as really virtues or maybe ways of being. And you can explain that a little further, but basically models on how we should govern ourselves as men and as heads of household as really being the – I guess the launching mechanisms for creating this household that that honors God, that um, you know honors legacy, that that honors productivity, that that really is the model, the biblical model for a household. And so that that's a lot to unpack. So let's back it up and let's start just with man of the house and the main point that you were trying to get across with gravitas. What what is that? How do I get that? What are the benefits of that? Is that biblical? And I'll let yeah. you. That's a lot to that, but yeah, I'll yeah. let you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to talk about it. Gravitas, you know, it comes from the Latin, and you're right. It's where we get the word gravity. It means weightiness. It means like, man, here's a here's a guy who's heavy. <laughs> you got you got to take him seriously. Right. You can't you can't take him lightly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think every guy wants to be that. I mean, sure. deep down yeah. in his heart, everybody want every guy wants to be taken seriously. When you, when you hear the word, he disrespected me. What he's getting at is he's taken me lightly. He's not yeah. taking me seriously. He's not sure. taking me, you know, as like I've got weight and value. So like when you like when you take some gold and you hold it, it's kind of surprising how heavy it is. Even like a coin, you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. and that's heavy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what kind of what they're getting at. And you know, the question is, it a biblical thing? Well, actually, yes. The word that we translate. Uh, into glory from Hebrew is kabod, which means heavy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like when the Apostle Paul says the eternal weight of glory, mm-hmm. you know, in like Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, I think it's verse eighteen. Mm-hmm. He's he's actually saying the same thing twice. Glory and heavy are the same thing, same mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the idea is, you know, your glory, you know, is sort of your your. Your luster, like if you're mm-hmm. your gold, your value comes from the fact that that people uh, can't take you lightly. They take you seriously, and there there's a kind of you know when it, when somebody has gravitas, you're almost a little bit afraid of them. Mm-hmm. You know, now what it, what that does when you have that fear, it's like the fear of the Lord. Yes. So when you have that fear, when you know someone who has gravitas says. I like you. That was good. You take it seriously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you know, I'm, I'm all, you know, this that's, is good. That's all right. right. <laughs> that's all right. So when, you, when, the, when a father has gravitas and he should, his children, when they receive his praise, his blessing. Yeah, that's right. They, they are blessed. That's right. You know, they, they, they take it as something serious. So now there are certain paradoxes with with gravitas. So I, I tell a story in the book. You might remember this one about Mr. Shu. Mm-hmm. So in, in, I had an experience in, in uh, high school. We had a our, in our school in Western Pennsylvania. We actually, we actually had a vice principal of discipline. Can you imagine that? It was uh, all he did. A vice principal <laughs> of discipline. Is that what you just said? <laughs> That's right. That was his title. Everybody was afraid of him. Even the teachers were afraid of him. He just he just kind of had that present, you know. He just like walk into the room and you go, "Whoa, nice. you know, it's a big guy." It, yeah, it's kind of, kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it wasn't like he was like uh, super muscular or anything. But sure. but he just had that that presence where he said, "Whoa, this is Mister Shoe." <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I got it. Yeah. So I remember one time we were on the bus and you know how it is on the bus, you know, we were getting ready to leave school and we were sitting in the back, you know, and there are some kids in the back, you know how it is with the kids in the back, you know, they're, they're making fun of other kids, you know, making them feel small and, you know, just, you know, making light of them and, and making them feel miserable. And, and then Mr. Shu comes out of the building and he's just walking our way. When he gets in the bed, it says, cool it, it's Mr. Shu. <laughs> <laughs> And Mr. Dewey, he just looks up and looks at the bus. He walks over to the bus and he just steps up on the bus. And it's almost like the whole bus just kind of leaned down. Wait. (laughs) He gets up to the top of the steps and he looks in the back. He doesn't even say anything. Just looks. And he just points. And he does says like this, come to me. And then he turns around and walks away. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and, they, and those guys get up <laughs> and they perfect. walk out of the bus, you know, that's follow him. And all the other kids are like, yay, yay. You know, <laughs> she saves the day. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's so wild. You, see that, 
that's the kind of thing you, that you can do when you have gravitas. You can save the day. So gravitas uh, is something that can be used for good or bad. You know, like a tyrant mm-hmm. can have some weight right. uh, and can be feared. Uh, but you know, one of the one of the the paradoxes or the ironies of gravitas is if you abuse it, you lose it. Right. So over time, you lose it. But uh, and that's why generally, like tyrants, get more and more desperate, more and more brutal, is because they know they're losing it and they have to keep people afraid. Right. But if you've got, if you use it for the good, people don't resent it. They actually appreciate it and respect you for it. So it means you have to like use it in a way that benefits people sure. so that you come to the help or the, the aid of those in need, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and that's a really important distinction, I think, because that's really what, what, what we, what we get into in culture a lot. We, we talk a lot about um, toxic masculinity. Uh, we talk a lot about the patriarchy and a lot of those tropes where we've got men that, uh, they do act out. They do exhibit their behavior or their masculinity in an abusive way. And, you know, and, and granted, toxic masculinity and patriarchy, that, those are loaded words. No one really has defined them completely. But but the I think what a lot of people that use those tropes get right is that there is an abuse of power that people can exhibit. Um, but to your point, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You sure. You, you try to cultivate this um, and use it really in a benevolence. And I think that's what Jordan Peterson gets right as well when he talks to he talks to people. There are two different kinds of kings. There's a tyrant and then there's the wise king. And I think that really what you're getting at with the appropriate use of gravitas is in a wise king type of sense. And I just want to know how do I cultivate that, boss? How do I get to a place <laughs> yeah, where yeah. I am not? Because here's one of the things, and I talked to my dad. My dad's a pastor, so I know about being a, a PK, right? Being, <laughs> being being there, you know, uh, th- Thursday night choir rehearsal, Friday night's prayer meeting, Saturday night is a picnic, and Sunday morning worship. We got two services, so I'm, I'm all aware of, of that life, but, but the, the, the question that I really had is, you know, I grew up in that light and I was the kind of guy that, you know, I, and maybe this is part of the culture. Maybe it's my personality, but I'm always the guy telling jokes. I'm the funny guy. I'm Mr. You know, hands. And, you know, he's always got something <laughs> funny to say. And so what I've been what I've been really focused on, not necessarily creating a fake persona, but really actually starting to take life serious um, and I think COVID-19 is, is a pretty good environment to cultivate that kind of attitude. But but how else do we cultivate an attitude of, of gravitas, an, a, an attitude that um, people do take serious? Is it just through trials? Is, is it is it just through, you know, kind of pretending? I mean, how, how, how does that come to be? How does that come to fruition in a man's character? 
Right, right. That's, those are great questions. And uh, I've, I've reflected on those things a lot. Uh, you know, to, to your point about, you know, being a, sort of a, the guy who sort of lightens the mood, being the, the funny guy, that's a good thing, too. It's not sure. like that's a bad thing. Sure. You know, we, 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 we don't want to be heavy all the time. You know, it's, sure. nice, nice, <laughs> it's, nice, it's nice to have some levity, you know. Levity, means, sure. levity means light, you know, means, means make is lighten up. Right. You know, like, yeah. you know, we say, say, hey, man, lighten up. Well, there's a time to be heavy and there's time to be light, you know, right. you know, so when it, when it comes to heavy, uh, the, the, the things that help you uh, to be taken seriously, I think uh, have to do. Now, there are certain things that men, generally speaking, have an advantage when it comes to gravitas, because it really does help. When you have like, you know, when you're bigger than everybody else, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that helps. you know, and, and yeah. like when you're when your voice is deeper than other people's voices, you know, sure. we, we, we live in a world where everybody is so concerned about making everything seem equal that we kind of like play a, a make believe game. Mm-hmm. You know, like my dog knows the difference between my wife's voice and my voice. Yes. You know, yes. so when I vo- my my wife tries to get the dog to do something. She has a hard time sometimes being taken seriously. <laughs> it is funny because it's true. My dog, Chanel, it's funny. Her name's Chanel. She's a Yorkie, but it's the same situation. Uh, Leo yeah. will yell, Chanel, get over here. Nothing. And I yell and she's like scooting around. Trying to <laughs> now, now, the reason for that, there, there are some good reasons for that. For one thing, you're probably bigger than your wife. You know, and but the other thing is, is that, you know, the male voice, the the sound waves that we can create because we have a lower register mm-hmm. actually affects people who hear us in a more sort of po- powerful way. Yeah. You know, so like when you think about like a like the bass on like a really good set of speakers, I mean, it can like shake the room. Yeah, you know? right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So like when a man speaks, you know, he's got a larger chest, he's got lar- larger throat, he's got, you know, vocal cords that get the lower register. It, it has a way of being taken more seriously by everybody because people say, man, this guy can hurt me. Yeah. Well, it's also soothing, interestingly enough, like it's yeah. it's both it's both uh, attention grabbing and uh, it's, uh, soothing. That's the best word I have for it. Well, you know, particularly for small children, mm-hmm. you know, when they hear their father's voice, mm-hmm. it can create a sense of security mm-hmm. that a mother's voice can't create. Now, I know that's a politically incorrect thing, but truth is often politically incorrect. Sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now that's one thing. You know, So we have an advantage now. You know, as I noted earlier, because we have an advantage, some guys who aren't morally sort of sound, you know, will use that advantage to their own advantage. Mm-hmm. And those are the guys who are the tyrants. Those are the guys who are the toxic guys. Mm-hmm. But if we can use th- this advantage in the service mm-hmm. of other people, then we'll be loved and appreciated. And we we won't use this to our advantage. We'll use it to the advantage of others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, another, another thing, you know, there's another word. This is from the Sanskrit. I believe it's Sanskrit. The word guru. You know, when we hear the word guru, we think of some guy, you know, out on a mountain, you know, in the lotus position, you know, going, oh, my. But the word, but the word guru literally means heavy. He's a heavy. Yeah, he's heavy. So you got three languages. You got, 
you know, you, you got Latin, you got Hebrew and you got Sanskrit and they've all got words for heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and we all have ideas of, again, that those, you know, the guru kind of conjures up that wisdom. That's it. Um, you know what I mean? And then you you think about gravitas and gravity, the weight. So it's it's literally I mean, it's it's really what 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 we've been trying to parse out. It's this it's this wise king. And I think it's interesting, too, that um, going back to the, you know, biblically speaking, I think it's interesting, too, that the beginning part of Proverbs is a father to a son. Yep. You know yep. what I'm saying? Like it's yep. a very um, it's a paternalistic advice session that we get to be hearers on you know right 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 yeah that's i think that's huge and you know like and like you said wisdom is i think you know there are different ways that we can think about wisdom you know there are different ways you can kind of sort of categorize kinds of wisdom Mm -hmm. so like like have you ever been in a situation where like people don't know what to do let's say the car breaks down Mm -hmm. now there's some guy who's like a gearhead who's in the car and says, I can fix this. As yeah. soon as that guy talks, everybody is like, okay, what can I do to help? Right, right. You know, he's, he, he knows what to do mm-hmm. and, and everybody else is depending on him. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that a, that a father uh, and a husband can develop gravitas is to, is to develop knowledge in very important areas of life. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you know, people start to rely on you. Yeah. Like, you know, he's the guy I go to for this and this and this, you know, mm-hmm. you know, so like there's like there's a, a range of things, you know, like handling money or maybe, uh, you know, how to how to get along with people, you know, how to sort of or, organize your life, how to live virtuously. There are different things that people care about. And if they see those things in you, they'll say, wow, that's a guy I should listen to. He's so he's got weight. His 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 words have weight. Mm -hmm. Well, because he's put these things into practice. He's skilled at that. Yeah. And wisdom is, you know, at least in terms of how Proverbs define it's like it's skillful living. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you, you mentioned, too, about using these things for others benefit. And I think that ties really perfectly into pietas. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Cause that's, that's the theme. It's not the only one I'm sure, but that's a main theme of the other book, the war and the household for the, or sorry, the, the household and the war for the cosmos. Is that right? Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, really a, uh, you know, the heart of it. You're absolutely right. So, you know, I think many of the many of the people that you and I know and me and we even probably have this idea, too, is when we think about piety, we think about, you know, just some little old lady, maybe with her Bible on the front porch, praying for people at church. And that's great. I mean, that we want people to do that. Mm-hmm. But but that's not the, the sort of the, the way it was understood in the in the in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. You know, in both, uh, you know, uh, the Hebrew culture and in you know, Greco-Roman culture, you know, the Greeks and the Romans, and you find this everywhere. I mean, if you, you go to every part of the world, you know, the East to Africa, to the Americas, wherever you look, there is a sense that people have that I should make some kind of, of uh, return mm. to the people who have been good to me. Mm-hmm. My parents, uh, God, the gods or God, you know, whomever I think has, who's been, a, who's been a help to me. I, I owe them something. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the heart of pietas. Mm-hmm. So the so uh, the word you know uh, really means to recognize your debts and to pay pay them back. So like you know like the classic text in you know the Western tradition that really expresses this is uh, Virgil's the Aeneid. Mm-hmm. Now the Aeneid's a fascinating story. It's a it's it's a it's the story of the founding of the Roman people. This is like their legend. This is like their, you know, George Washington story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what the, the Romans believed is that they were the descendants of the Trojans. Now, this is something that folks I don't think really make the connection with. Sure. So, so like they they believed that when the Greeks conquered Troy, you know, like the you know the with the with the Trojan horse and all that stuff, you know, Achilles and Odysseus and all those guys, when they when they finally got into the city and burned it down, there was a guy uh, that was named Aeneas who led the refugees out of the city and led a fleet of ships. And, and they sailed to Italy and founded a new kingdom, which eventually became the Roman Republic. Mm-hmm. So this is how they be, this is what they believe. So this, the Aeneid is that story. Now, now how this all kind of ties into Pietas is this uh, Aeneas, who was, by the way, you know, like Achilles and all these other guys, kind of like half half God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about mythology here. Sure. So, yeah. so like, his mother is Venus. Can you imagine if your mother was Venus, you know, <laughs> that was his mother. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. So, <laughs> so anyway, she, she, she's looking after her boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like moms do. <laughs> but anyway, his, his, uh, Aeneas's father was a human being. He was just just a man. And Chises was his name. And uh, so... Uh, during the sack of the city, so here's Aeneas, he's in the city and the city is being attacked and he's just fighting for his life, trying to defend the city. The city is burning all around him and he realizes that, you know, this is it. We're going down. Everybody's going to die. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, his mother appears to him and she says, go get your father, go get your your your, your wife and your son and and flee. So he runs home and he gets into the house and there's his father Anchises. Now his father is crippled, mm-hmm. can't walk. When you're, when you're what, when you're, when you, I guess when you have a, your, your wife is Venus, it has, it takes its toll. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so, so uh, he's, he's, his father is like this old school guy says, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay and die with the city. And so, yeah. and so and Aeneas is like, well, I can't leave my father. I just can't. And so at that point, you know, Aeneas's wife says, what about me? Creusa is her name. And she says, what about your son? You're going to just let us die. <laughs> and at that moment, there's like this, this, uh, there's this thunder. And then there's this meteor that shoots across the sky. And in that moment, uh, on the, on the, on the head of his son, Ilius, there's this blue crown of fire that appears. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, they know that the son is destined to become the, the king and the father of a new people. And so they're like, okay, we can leave now. And so the, his father, Anchises, says, okay, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's, And so uh, Aeneas says, get on my back. So wow. he takes his father on his back, and then he takes his son, Ilius, by the hand. 
And then in his other hand, he's got a sword and his wife is following behind. And that's the picture. You got your father on your back and your son by the hand and a sword in the other hand and you're fighting your way out. And that for the Romans was the picture of Pietas. Now, that's completely different than the idea of piety that most people have. You know, the idea of piety of being sort of like, you know, out in the garden, you know, just sort of like, you know, listening to the birds and (laughs) reading your Bible. (laughs) Yeah, well, and that's the thing, too. And you you raise a good point on that is uh, how do you and you've talked about this before, but how do you think that that got lost in? Our faith in Christianity, because when you think of piety, you do you think of, um, you know, you're you're and not and again, devotions are good. But you think about just reading scripture um, because that's what you're supposed to do. You're 10 to 15 minutes of quiet time with Jesus. But what you're getting at is something that is uh, duty is obligation is really kind of responsibility in a way. And, and you've talked about this before um, when you were talking about, I think it was in a conversation you had at Canon press or for Canon press. And it was at some conference, but you talked about Abraham being a guy that, that is a good example of biblical piety Right. Uh, can you tell us that example and then answer that question about how do we go from Abraham piety to five to ten minutes of my Bible reading and that being the only level of piety? Right, right. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a contrast that I make in my book bet- uh, between, you know, Aeneas and uh, Abraham. They're both fathers who found houses. Mm-hmm. And so we need to think about ourselves in the same way, that we're fathers who found houses. Mm-hmm. I think that that what's happened with our faith is we've kind of narrowed it down so far that it's just something that happens in our hearts. It's just personal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you have a, a more biblical uh, understanding or the biblical understanding, you say, okay, as as the head of my house, my task is to order everything to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. That's my piety because God has given me everything and now I'm ordering everything to his glory. Mm-hmm. So everything that is sort of happening in the sphere of my influence in the sphere of my authority is being ordered to his glory. Right. So, you know, when you think about like Abraham, Abraham is given, um, you know, a promise. I mean, I mean, it's like the, the, the greatest promise you could ever get. You know, you're going to you're going to be the father of a, of a great nation. You know, your 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 descendants are going to be as 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 uh, numerous as the sand of the seashore and the scars, stars in the sky. And that all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Right. You know, that's huge. Every every family of in every nation is going to be blessed through you. So if. And so, you know, his pious, pious response to that is gratitude and belief and sacrifice and obedience. You know, he's, he's like, no, hey, this is my benefactor. This is the one who does everything for me. Mm-hmm. And then he, and he takes that promise that he's received and he passes it on, mm-hmm. passes it on to his descendants. And, of course, circumcision is the sign of the covenant and, you know. On down. Now here we are. Here we are in the church. I think one of the things that's happened in our day 
that has kind of gotten us in this frame of mind that it's just sort of like this inner personal thing and we've lost sight of this larger picture is there are there are lots of things that have gone on in our culture and in our world that have more or less told Christians, you know, you kind of got to, you know, that's kind of a private thing, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's between you and God and you just, you know, that's fine. You know, and if you want to talk about, you know, your personal relationship with Jesus, you know, you just go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. But, but don't like mess around with anything else. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. And it, well, cause your personal relationship doesn't carry any gravitas, doesn't right. carry any weight beyond those 10 to 15 minutes of your quiet time that you have with them. Yeah. And, w- and what we're telling the world as Christians, you know, you think about like the early church, you know, they didn't get into trouble because of their 15 minutes of private you know, time. No, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. They got in trouble because they said Jesus rose from the dead and he is Lord. And that means and that means Caesar is not. (laughs) Now, one of the things I show in my book is that is that when Paul says, you know, Christ is seated in heavenly places, we are seated with him in heavenly places in Ephesians. That would have immediately brought to mind Caesar seated in heavenly places because there's actually art Mm -hmm. that you could buy in the marketplace that shows Caesar in heaven surrounded by the gods right, right, right. <laughs> and he's seated there mm-hmm. you know and that's why romans worshiped him mm-hmm. it was you know they 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 looked at him as their benefactor like they said okay he's the one that we owe piety to pi- pietas to right right and and the christians said no he's not the one you owe pi- pietas to now he's got a role he's got a place you know sure. let's respect him but we're not going to worship him because there's someone over top of him, and that's the Lord Christ, and that's what got Christians killed. So we we are so our our pietas or our piety, our devotion and our duty as Christians, really we kind of expanded what the Roman idea of pietas was. We're we're so pious that it's not just about the statesman or the man who runs the show. It's actually pointing to God and the the creator of the universe and Christ and you know his his son. So it's it's uh it's maybe more encompassing because now I'm gonna order my entire life based on that reality as opposed to just the man to man reality. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. You, you're right on the money. And I think, uh, you know, when we think about, you know, when, when Paul talks about, you know, uh, how even uh, people who aren't, uh, you know, believers in God can 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 be a law unto themselves. They can know certain things are right and wrong. There are certain things that the Romans had right. Mm-hmm. There are other things they had wrong. Sure. And uh, the things that they had right had to do with this kind of stuff with like, okay, if you have somebody who's done something, something to, you know, to, for you, that is, you know, really good. You ought, you owe that person gratitude. Mm-hmm. And, and all the Christians did as well say as well, ultimately all of our gratitude should go to God. And we know that his son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. is the one through whom we, you know, come into his presence. He's the, you know, the one in whose name we pray, mm-hmm. you know, he's our Lord. He's the one who saved us mm-hmm. because of all these things. We owe him our devotion. He's done so much for us. 
He's, mm-hmm. We've been bought with a price, as you know, as Scripture says. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, all these things would have been very understandable to Romans. They would have gotten it right off the bat. You're, you know, basically, you're saying, you know, they would say, "Oh, you're saying that that Jesus is the Son of God and not Caesar." Mm-hmm. But we we believe that Caesar's the Son of God, and then <laughs> then there's like conflict. Sure. Yeah. So then, so then let's talk to guys like me and, 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 and really I target on purpose in this podcast, I target millennial men cause that's where I land. Um, and we've kind of the whole landscape that you've addressed really briefly about the, the culture that we're in, um, and, and us really taking our relationship with God as not being something that bears weight beyond just our personal time. How do we get to a place and you go over this in the book so you don't have to explain as much. So um, just however much you feel like explaining. But h- how do we get to a place where we are taking the weight of God and the piety that we show God and and order our households and our lives in accordance with those things? Because um, you talk a lot about a productive household. And I I need to talk to you about that <laughs> and, and how that relates to the gravitas and the pietas piece, because I, I just find that fascinating. And, and I, I, I see me and you having a conversation offline about that. Cause I think that that's, I just, I love every bit of that. So, so talk to us a little bit about, um, how to order our households in that way and what productive households have to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's what I, I love to talk about. So like, um, you know, when we, when we think of the word authority, you know, people got a lot of hangups about the word, but uh, often the reason they have those hangups is because they don't really understand the word. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, when you look at the word authority, if you just take the last three letters and drop them, what you, what you get is the word author. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, when you think about an author, you say, oh, that guy's in charge of what he's made. Mm-hmm. You know, what if it's a book, if it's right. a movie or whatever, you know, if you write us a song or whatever. He's the author of the song. We say he, he you know, that's his. We, we're not going to, like, challenge that. Mm-hmm. So like an authority is simply an author, someone who brings something into being that wouldn't have been there if it, if it hadn't been, you know, brought into being by the author. So a father, obviously, you know, if, if there's a wife, there's children, you know, you know, there wouldn't be a wife. There wouldn't be children if there wasn't the father right right, <laughs> yes. right. You, know, you know the old saying you know i'm your father you know yeah. <laughs> i brought yeah. you into this world and i'll, I'll take, take you out yeah. that's, a, that's a classic father <laughs> statement right, there. right. right. but there's actually you know there's basis there's a basis for that and that's, right. the, fact, the fact is i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that guy mm-hmm. and uh now of course a good father doesn't just simply you know you know bring a child into the world through just, you know, a, a, a sexual act, you know, he's involved with, you know, a lot Amazing. more raising yeah. stuff like that. So, so as you are engaged with your children, the, you know, you should keep in mind, okay, what is the goal? One of the problems that we have today is that, is that we live in a world where like everybody is sort of like making it up as they go along and everybody is sort of like the authority of their life and you're not allowed to tell anybody anything. So like pe- people will say, even parents will say, I just want them to be happy. Right. Well, what does that mean? You know, what do you, what do you mean by that? I mean, it, you know, if he's happy being a drug addict, you know, is that a good thing? You know, you know, you, you, you got to have some some moral guidance uh, to inform this whole matter. But one of the other things that we deal with is we live in a world 
that's lost touch with what households used to do. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, a household was a lot more than a place you went to to just kind of crash after work. Uh, it was the place where you went to work. It was the place where you conducted your work. In fact, the word economy uh, is a Greek compound word. It uh, Two Greek words, oikos nomos. That's where we get the word economy. And it means law of the house. Mm-hmm. So oikos means house. Nomos means law, law of the house. Mm-hmm. What the law of the house did is it directed the activities of the various people in productive ways so that the house would work in such a way so as to be fruitful, productive, and so that the people who lived in it could survive. <laughs> you know, yeah. We're talking yeah. about the days before work going to work at IBM or anything yeah, like that. Right. You know, right. Everybody, every house was like a productive enterprise. So you were either a farmer or if you were, had a trade, like maybe your father was a shoemaker or a blacksmith or whatever. So, so this was like the way it was for everybody up until about 150 years ago. Then about 150 years ago, we had this thing called the Industrial Revolution, and, and there was some, pl- some bunch of guys who said, hey, you know, I'm going to just take a lot off your mind. I just want you to come and work for me between this time and this time, and then while you're here, you know, you're productive, and then you've got your free time after that. Now, what that did is that turned our houses into like recreation centers. Mm-hmm. And so that now today, when people think of their houses, they think, well, I got like my man cave, and I got my home theater, and I got, you know, internet in every room, and every That's why I go to chill. That's it. That's right. What we need, if if we want to have a productive household, we need to think about our households differently. And um, what it it doesn't mean you never have fun. It doesn't mean you never rest. That's what the whole the whole idea behind six and one, you know, six days for work and one day for Sabbath. Sabbath. The whole idea was not so much you divide up your week in terms of where you go, but do you divide up your week in terms of what you do? And um, so now I think a lot of folks are kind of rediscovering this because of this quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, big, big time. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this and then I'm gonna let you finish my, my, my wife. Uh, she wasn't able to work uh, during quarantine. I still have been able to work from home. So that's been good. Um, and I tell you what, she's been decorating this house. We've been having house projects, baking cookies for our neighbors <laughs> and it's gotten all kinds of ideas. And that's really how I stumbled on you was, Again, that idea of a productive household is something that I've always thought about because I went to school and actually studied entrepreneurship while I was oh, there. Great, great. And so, you know, my my mind has already been kind of conditioned in that way of, okay, how can I make this thing that's a huge investment, which is a house, right? Yeah, how right. can I make it pay for itself? Right, you know? right, right. Um, so anyway, I just, that's a little caveat, but go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, that's great. I mean, that's exactly what I like. You know, that's, that's what I love to hear is, uh, when, when you sort of, when you get the idea, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys all over the country about this stuff. And initially, you know, they, they, you know, when I'm, when I talk with the, with a lot of guys, there's some, there's a little bit of, uh, skepticism. There's a little bit of, you know, how it goes. And, um, you know, should I, should I listen to this guy? And immediately when I get into this, it's like the lights go on. Yeah. Yep. Everybody's like, of course, that's how yeah, it's yeah. supposed to work. I get it. Yeah. yeah. 
And then they're like, everybody's on the edge of their seat. Well, let's, let's, let's make this thing go. (laughs) (laughs) And the next thing you know, everybody's talking about investments and business and stuff like that. So, you know, one of the things that I do, uh, I've had a lot of investment properties over the years, you know, I've had like maybe 80 tenants over the years and, and I've worked on apartments and my sons, my daughter have, and my wife have, have worked with me on all those things. So, so even though I've been a pastor, I've done this other stuff over the years and uh, I'm a writer and uh, my wife teaches piano. So our, our house, you know, where we live, we've got a very large garden. We've got lots of things going on. Yeah. Uh, but there's like uh, like our we think about our household in that way. It's sort of like this is a place like if like with my tax return, like like 30 to 40 percent of my household, my house, my factual physical house is a write off. Right. <laughs> because it's all productive enterprise. Wow. That's right. All the things are going on in it. Yeah. So it's like first floor is all productive. Upstairs where we sleep is like. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the way the way it was for our ancestors. You know, our ancestors, you know, they would either, you know, be they would farm and they they would they would have, you know, the fields or if they were like in town and they were a tradesman, they would have like the shop downstairs and they would live upstairs, that kind of stuff. And uh, so I think it's sort of in our all of our blood. And so I think we all kind of get it. It just kind of is like we have to kind of get out of the out of the contemporary mindset and just recover this. Now, I think we're actually at a good time for this. And the reason for that is because of the technology. Mm-hmm. So like sometimes people will accuse me of being like a, a guy who's anti-technology. And I'm like, no, no, actually, I'm actually all for it. In fact, um, I think that what we find now is because of technology, we uh, because of like, you know, even things like um you know, uh, 3D printing and stuff. You've got an ability to make stuff, mm-hmm. not just uh, you know work on spreadsheets on the internet, mm-hmm. but you can you can do stuff mm-hmm. um, and participate in it, and at the same time participate in a global economy. Right. Right. So, so like I've got a friend who uh, he went he he lived here in Connecticut for a while, and then he moved to to Chicago to teach at a school out there and he couldn't sell his house. So he ended up renting it. And the guy who's renting it sells Legos. (laughs) He makes over a hundred thousand dollars a year selling Legos out of his house. Wow. Wow. (laughs) You know, that's the kind of world we live in now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. So if you have the creativity and the dedication and the good idea and some good, you know, mentors, you know, you can make it happen, you know, and if you if you make it happen, then you can bring your kids into it. You can bring your wife into it and you can you know, we, and we can have like a 21st century version of Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and it, sound, it sounds so good. And, and, and I think the main question and I can I can let you kind of end on this note um, is what is the 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 spiritual value out of creating a household that is um, ordered um, in a way that it's productive and 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 not only the spiritual value but how does that in turn honor God by having that happen? Well, I think that you know we're to be fruitful. Mm-hmm. You know, Adam and Eve they were told to be fruitful to take dominion, and I think obviously that means children. Mm-hmm. But I also think that means, you know, the work of your hands. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a husband and wife are meant to work together. Mm-hmm. They're meant to uh, have 
a common life and a common wealth and a common work. And when you have all those things, you know, uh, there, then you really have a, a lot of things that tie them up together, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when you bring the children into it, you know, one of the things that I, I really believe is important, and I know, uh, you know, you, you know, a lot of people think this way, and you probably do too, is that, you know, children should be given responsibilities and tasks and things oh, yeah. like that to learn responsibility and stuff. But if if it, if it's all sort of make work like clean your room, do your homework, that kind of stuff. Yeah. They, they really kind of deep down in, in their hearts know that it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they resent it. Yeah. 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 But, if, <laughs> but if they know that they're engaged in something that enriches the whole household and that their contribution is important, mm-hmm. then they know that they're important. Right. You know, right. and that they have a, they have a role in, making the house a, uh, a a place that everybody can enjoy mm-hmm. and uh, be enriched by. So like when I, when I would take my sons to work with on apartments, you know, cause I renovate apartments, I've got a background in construction. So I did a lot of that stuff. I would never pay my boys. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, this is our family, family business. <laughs> That's a long day. <laughs> and I'd say, I'd say them two things. I'd say, first of all, this is going to pay for your college education. Okay. The rents from this place are going to do that. And they did. <laughs> and the other thing I tell them is that you're going to inherit it. Someday this is going to be yours. So don't wind me <laughs> <laughs> about having to put in time now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Someday I'm, that's right. Someday I'm dead mm-hmm. <laughs> and this will be yours. Mm-hmm. And so when kids have that mindset that, wow, I'm, I'm engaged in not just helping my dad do his thing, but his thing is my thing. Then it, it has a different sort of dynamic. It has a different kind of, you know, um, feel. Yeah. Different weight. To it. Right, right. <laughs> right. Well, CR, I, I appreciate you coming on and having this conversation with us. I think that um, this has been one that's given me lots to think of. I've been looking forward to it for a minute. Uh, so I want you to close and tell us your two books. Tell us how we can connect with you um, and what else you've got going on other than these two books. Are you working on a third and fourth? I mean, just let us know anything we need to know to uh, stay in the loop on what CR is up to. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. The the two books that uh, we've been talking about is uh, the first book is Man of the House. And you can get that on Amazon. Of course, you can get everything on Amazon. But if you just yeah. you know search for Man of the House, CR Wiley, you'll find it. And then uh, The Household and the Wharf of the Cosmos, that's also available on Amazon. You can get it at Canon Books. And um, I'm actually working on a couple of things right now. Um, I've got a young adult fiction series that I, I've been working on. The first book is out. I've got the second book that hopefully will be out by Christmas. But I've got a third book in my household series. I don't know if, you, I don't know if you're a Tolkien guy or anything. Yeah. But I'm, <laughs> oh, 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 cool. I, uh, I, I'm working on a book on Tom Bombadil. Now, he didn't get into the films, but he's really an important character in the books. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm working on that, and it's actually going to get into this whole matter of dominion. What does dominion mean? Mm-hmm. Because that's another one of those words like authority and patriarchy it, that people are like, you know, they hear it and they, they assume all the worst. 
Right. Right. <laughs> but so so the this book will be about dominion and how you how we exercise dominion and how Tom Bombadil is like a picture of the way like Adam could have exercised dominion if he had done it right. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm looking forward to that. That's actually going to be really good. Wow. When does that come out? You got a time well, I'm ho- I'm, Yeah, I'm hoping that it'll come out here in the in the fall. Uh, I'm on the fifth chapter right now, and it's got seven chapters. So I'm, I'm on the first draft. So after I get the first draft done, you know, I'll go over it a couple more times. And I, I think it's I think it could be out by by like September. Wow. Wow. So, well, yeah, that, and, and that's kind of what I'm up to. What are you on social media? <laughs> Well, yeah, you can find me on uh, Facebook, like everybody. I'm not on Twitter. Twitter's like an like Twitter's like something where you like you put that sign in your back that says "kick me." Yeah, you know? pretty much. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, why, 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 much. why do I want this? I, I was on it for a brief period of time, and I kept getting attacked by all cra- kinds of crazy people. Oh yeah. So I was like, I don't need this. And uh, but you can find me on Facebook. Um, and uh, but that's that's pretty much it for social media. I'm not, you know, I, you can find me on Instagram, but I don't do much there. I just kind of like post kind of pictures of stuff. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of. Uh, I'm an illustrator, and I'm working on some some uh, some children's books right now. So I've got like three or four irons in the fire. Yeah, busy. And then, yeah, yeah. And then I've got, uh, of course, I'm a pastor, and uh, my church is very understanding and very gives me lots of space to do this stuff. But I've got a uh, uh, a website called uh, crwiley.com. So if people want to, you know, and I'll probably take this uh, this podcast interview and when it's when it's posted, I'll I'll link it there so people can li- find it and listen to it. That's awesome. I appreciate you doing that. Also, make sure to check out his podcast, Theology Pugcast. It's fantastic if you're a guy that that is is looking to get deeper into some theological issues and how they uh, converge with culture. It it uh it's blowing my mind. I'm having to go back and listen to each one like two or three times. So it's been good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, you know uh, the two other guys that are with me on that one is a guy named Glenn Sunshine. He's he's an historian. He teaches at Central Connecticut State University. He's with the Colson Center. You know Chuck Colson back in the day. And then uh, the other guy is uh, Tom Price. He teaches. Uh, Systematic Theology and Ethics for Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. So it's the three of us together. Yeah. The floating brains. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I appreciate you coming on, CR. Thanks for, for doing this. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I really enjoyed it. Anytime. And there you have it, gentlemen. I hope that you guys, I hope that you took notes. I hope that you took time to listen. I hope that you guys really got something out of the conversation that I just had with CR. Uh, He's going to be a mentor of mine. He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be a mentor of mine. I I really value uh, his work. I really value his perspective. And I think that he's just a great guy to learn from. So pick up those books um, if you you know found this conversation interesting. Uh, the again the name of the books is name of the books are uh, the war the household and the war for the cosmos by Canon Press and then Man of the House is his other book. Um, really good stuff in there and and I intend to complete that book and let you guys know how it's going. Well, anyway, guys, thanks again for tuning in to the podcast. Uh, We want to thank Octave Studio once again for our audio and production. And, And it's with that I say take care and build on.